When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Dominic Booth. I'm delighted to be joined once again by our Chief United writer, Samuel Luckhurst. How are you, Samuel? Hello, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. And I assume you enjoyed your midweek trip to the seaside as Manchester United did at Brighton. Yeah, you don't get very close to the seaside when you go to Brighton, uh, what with the stadium being in, in Farmer. But it was it was it was another impressive performance by United, a new and perfect performance. Uh, I mean, if, if you were really pressed to look for a negative, you'd probably look at, at Rashford's form at the moment. But I think he's unfortunate that he's judged who the the, the Pogba prism, if you like, in that Pogba's come back from a longer layoff and been in excellent form ever since he took to the pitch at Tottenham. Uh, there the, are just po- positives galore for United at the moment, and it's it's very difficult not to get swept up in that. But even if you're just looking at it objectively, these next six games they've got in the league, th- there's no reason why they shouldn't be winning those six matches. Uh, each opponent that they're coming up against, that they're in better form United, they've got better players than. Uh, I'd even apply that to Leicester really now, when I think when Leicester came to Old Trafford in September, you'd have probably said if you had to do one of those, I guess, maligned combined 11s that, that people either like or, or, or dislike, you'd have probably gone with more Leicester players than United players. And I don't think that's the case anymore. Yeah, it's interesting that um, we're speaking on Friday, Friday lunchtime, aren't we, after Solskjaer's press conference, and he, he rather sort of played down um, how easy or otherwise the running might be for United. There's obviously games coming up against teams battling relegation, uh, and the one at Brighton was was fairly straightforward. I mean, how much do we read into the United performance? Do you think, think that is the marker now for the rest of the season? Can we expect the performance level to be that high? Because the first half really was among the better United displays we've seen for for a long while. It definitely can be in that for the first time, probably under Solskjaer, they have got a first 11. It's it's a settled side. I, I would argue it is their best side just in terms of uh, the way certain players complement certain areas of the team. Matic uh, has, has had a really good year and it, he really underpins that that Pogba-Fernandez axis, if you like. And, and he has a good understanding with Pogba as well. They're, they're friends away from, from Carrington and their neighbours and there's you know there's an understanding there and they they get on with each other and and sometimes that that does help a little bit more greenwood is is just a better talent than someone like daniel james he has more variety we were kind of i, I mean when you talk about being let into a football stadium and you start complaining you you, you it's, it's probably another reason why people hate journalists but the, the one of the downsides of the brighton game was that we had a quite a vertiginous view from the makeshift press box. But the, I suppose the upside you get from that is that you've got more of a tactical vantage point. And when Greenwood accepted, took the ball from Wambisaka and started going at dunk, I, I literally did not go, sorry, did not know which way he was going to go because he can go on, on the outside or go inside. 
and he's clearly at a stage now in his development where he is ready to play uh, regular games in the first team. And the, the upside, the other upside for United is that um, they're getting these games, or certainly the last two games they've won early uh, in the Premier League. It's allowed them to rest players. You look at their schedule ahead, uh, there'll have been four, get, four days between the Brighton game and the Bournemouth game. I think there'll have been five days between Brighton and Villa because Villa's a Thursday kickoff next week. So it's, there's, there's plenty of time to rest players and there's another four-day rest until Southampton. It's really the, the, that Southampton Monday night game, that's the start of probably the most testing week in that they've got, they're probably going to have, I should say, it's not been confirmed yet, Palace on the Thursday and Chelsea in the FA Cup on the Sunday. But they've, they've managed weeks like that before this season, uh, given the, the Europa League schedule. And by that point, the conditioning of the players should be, uh, I mean, they'll have been a month back since the restart. So they should be in a very, very good place regarding their conditioning. They've not had any major injuries so far. I suppose they've had the odd knock here and there, as Solskjaer alluded to in his press conference. But nobody's been kind of like, nobody of note anyway has been ruled out of a game so far. And you would hope that these drinks breaks that uh, are already quite lamentable, really, would, would be scrapped by then. I'm not, I can't remember whether they would put in place for the rest of the season. But just in terms of the schedule, the players available, the form um, individually and collectively, United are in a very, very good place at the moment. Absolutely. Yeah, well, don't get me started on the drinks breaks because, yeah, I think lamentable is a very appropriate term but Solskjaer did hint in his press conference that there might be a couple of changes from that team that obviously beat Brighton it was, it was the same team that beat Sheffield United like you say both by the same score both with very convincing performances for an hour or so before Solskjaer made subs I guess are you going to consider changes for to that team which would be maybe destabilising but you, you talk about Fred or McTominay maybe coming into the midfield if you want to had some variety in there. Like you say, Matic has been so important, hasn't he? He has. And yes. I think that he can really lay down a marker if, if he does keep an unchanged side in that, even though it's Bournemouth and when you're coming up against Bournemouth who have been bad enough this season, I mean, I, I think one of the worst things about some of the United defeats they've had this season, West Ham away and Bournemouth away, was that West Ham and Bournemouth were bad on those days. They did not play well. They were bad teams beating an even worse side in United on the day. Um, but it's, Bournemouth is a game where you can rest players uh, here or there. I mean, Matic would be an obvious one given his age and, and then you can keep him prepared for the Villa game. But as I said, because of the gaps between the games, I, I don't think there are any excuses uh, for not playing an unchanged side uh, and, and he could make changes that they would still probably win. I mean, they're coming up against a team that were battered 4-1 by Newcastle at home in, in midweek, but it just lays down a marker that this, you know, this is what we feel is our strongest side. Um, it's, it's, it's laying down a marker to those on the bench to, to, you know, up their game in training. I think Solskjaer, when he did his Zoom call with us this morning, he did kind of allude, or sorry, he he expressed his preference to name an unchanged side, but because of a couple of unnamed players having knocks and bruises, as he put it, that that might put the kibosh on that. Uh, But I think most United supporters would just like to see the same team that started the last two league games. And if if Solskjaer was to do that, 
um, looking at it, I think it would be the first time since October, November two, 2006 that United have named the same League 11 in three games, three league games running. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible thing considering how much sort of unsettled time has been at, has been at United since the Ferguson era, but even dating back further than that, when you think about how much Ferguson rotated his squad, midfield's the area that we keep talking about with, with Pogba and Fernandez. Is it is it as simple as saying that, that that axis has changed United and it has made them a more creative force? Um, I mean, Fernandez changed United first and foremost, but they there's always a risk of reading too much into these games because they are played behind closed doors. Um, the atmosphere is non-existent. I, I was thinking about Brighton. I mean, if, if that game was scheduled when it was intended to, which was due to be, I think, the first game back after the March internationals, uh, if United would go in there, you wouldn't have been surprised if they'd come a cropper and drop points or, or lost that game, especially given how they played there on the previous two um, visits in the Premier League. But where you've got Pogba uh, back at his optimum now, I think it's fair to say, and Fernandez, it has taken him on to a new level. And I think the, the key difference in terms of having not just in terms of having both of them in the squad or sorry in the team is that United suddenly now have the look of a team that don't have to make allowances for the opponent. And that's regardless of who the opponent is. Whereas when Fernandez first came into the team and they were going to Chelsea, they, they had City in the derby. You know, pra- pragmatism reigned there in the United would switch to a back three. Um, there would be uh, a midfield axis there of Fred and Matic, I think, in, in the Chelsea and City games that was pretty much safeguarding that back three behind them. I don't think that if... If it comes to the Chelsea FA Cup semi-final, I don't think you'd necessarily see United going with a back three. And of course, it's a neutral game, so that does change things and there are no supporters there. But while the game is in this current state, which everybody accepts is is not is not preferable, you want supporters in the stadiums. But from United, for United, it is working to their advantage. And they're going to Villa next week. Villa have been dreadful for most of the season but they look particularly forlorn at the moment and and at Villa Park which is absolutely key um, in terms of if they're going to stay up or not. We saw with Norwich even though they were pretty commendable with their performance against United, I think they've lost three at home now already. Those games where you're actually going away from Old Trafford, the, the, the venue, the fact that it's an away game, it doesn't really matter at all and come that Leicester game in the final weekend of the season, the way it's going at the moment, you would not be surprised if United are above Leicester at that point, which is is just a remarkable turnaround. And there are so many factors behind why that could happen. And I think you have to look at Leicester and a hell of a lot as well and why their form has fallen off a cliff pre and post lockdown. But the way, the, the position United are in, in just about every way going is... Is enviable and as I've said before it, I think it would be amazing if they didn't get Champions League football now just because of the form they're in the players they've got available um, things can change very very quickly I mean two weeks ago not even two weeks ago De Gea was being questioned left right and centre rightly so after the Bergvine mistake you go go I don't know not even two weeks fast forward two weeks and 
Romero was culpable for Campwell's goal at Norwich. Henderson has made a few errors, or has certainly been culpable for a few goals to Sheffield United. I think he was luck- he was a little bit lucky, not a little bit. He was extremely lucky that Mora was penalised for the handball because I thought he was pretty weak in trying to deal with Harry Kane's shot um, in-, in Sheffield United's win against Spurs. And De Gea has made a couple of good saves in the Brighton game and had a couple of clean sheets and nobody's talking about his position anymore. It's it's not topical. So that's how drastic things can change. So I suppose they're a key injury away from this, you know, this momentum being killed. But they, they have been, this momentum did start in late January, just before Fernandes arrived and they've managed to maintain it uh, after the season restarted. Yeah, you hope they aren't a key injury away from from disaster and from this unbeaten run obviously falling apart. You hope that they do have that depth, uh, which is finally starting to to arrive, having been non-existent, like you say, at the start of the season. I think that was part of the problem. United just had no depth. They didn't even really have a first eleven to to speak of. But uh, there's going to be lots of transfer talk uh, on the horizon. Samuel, Jack Grealish will probably come into the conversation uh, during the Villa game and afterwards. One player who it doesn't look like is joining United is Jude Bellingham, the Birmingham City uh, teenager, 17, I think he is now. It was his birthday earlier this week. Solskjaer didn't say much about him in the press conference, but it does look like Borussia Dortmund have won that particular race and United have to look elsewhere for their, their midfield options. Well, it's quite curious in that United, uh, when, I was, when I was off last month, I, I spoke to a colleague who'd um, touched base with someone at United about Bellingham and the the reply they got was well we've never actually confirmed that that we're in for Bellingham um, which was laughable because someone who is employed by United did confirm they were in for Bellingham uh, on two occasions once in January and and then again in March and of course Bellingham and his parents were uh, pictured uh, driving into Carrington where they met Ed Woodward and Matt Judge. So United have been interested. There's there's no point them denying that or trying to pretend they weren't. Um, it's, it's it's a blow in the sense that it's probably it's going to be the second time, where it's looking like it's going to be the second time this season that a, a young player, a young plom- promising player, has rejected them in favour of Dortmund. Because of course Haaland did that. I think Haaland's a far more is, is a far greater loss than someone like Bellingham who. Good potential, you know, good player, good potential that he might be. I don't think he's he's going to be the difference between United challenging for the league next season. Um, so I don't, I, at the risk of you know this coming back to to bite me, uh, I, I don't think he's a, a major loss. Uh, I certainly think that you know when it did emerge that United were definitely in for him. I think it posed more questions about certain players at the academy and, and what they might have been thinking. Angel Gomez, for example, uh, one of the reasons uh, why, well, the main reason he left United was that he didn't see an obvious pathway to the first team. And then when he sees that United are looking to sign, um, not necessarily all of them, but there was a very good chance that they were looking to do it. But players like Grealish, Sancho and Bellingham, three young British players, three players who occupy positions that Gomez could occupy you don't really blame Gomez for uh, looking elsewhere and trying to further his career elsewhere so I think with Bellingham it's it's kind of small fry really in comparison to someone like Sancho for obvious reasons and I can understand why Bellingham 
is enticed by Dortmund purely because of the Sancho rule um, in that they took a player who was 17 from Manchester City, had never played for Manchester City, and they've developed him into a minimum £100 million player um, and, and one of the most coveted forwards in world football. So if, if Bellingham operates the same way as uh, Sancho, you can see in three or four years down the line, he will look to get a very good move to the Premier League. I don't doubt for one moment that he and his family see Dortmund as a, a pretty deluxe stepping stone uh, to a, to further his career and get a good move back to the Premier League. I, I don't think he's exactly going to settle in Dortmund. I think he has one of the oldest populations of all the cities in Germany as well. So it's it's a bit of a mismatch in some ways, just from a, a lifestyle uh, perspective. But career-wise, it's it's completely understandable. But he's he's far from essential for United. And the United midfield is in a is in rude health at the moment. I think the, the, the midfield quintet they've got is, I'd still say City have got the best midfield going in the Premier League, but it, I don't think it's um, a stretch to say that United are probably second best in that area. Yeah, it's looking looking good. And we'll have to see with, uh, if the Bellingham move has any impact on, on Sancho and whether Sancho does leave Dortmund in the summer. Um United's transfer priority is pretty clear on on the right wing position, but like you say, with with so many options in midfield, you wonder what can be done. Especially, I guess, with the with the coronavirus pandemic. I mean, we've seen some reports flying around this week saying United will only pay fifty million for Sancho. I think that that's slightly wide of the mark, and that they definitely will have to pay more. Can you see them paying a big fee for a midfielder such as a Grealish or or a Madison? Well, I think a lot of with Grealish, um, this this is very pedantic. But I mean, I kind of just see him as a as a forward. But I, I suppose when Fernandez joined United, you'd have had him down as a midfielder. He's he's very much a playmaker, and you'd probably bracket playmaker as forward. It's it's pure pedantry. But with with someone like Grealish uh, or or Madison, it's it's interesting in that. I don't think many people would have envisaged with Madison that he could finish the season below United and that could that, that could obviously you know, something could change there now because if he isn't playing in the Champions League next season and United have finished in the top four and Villa stay up and Villa want you know want 80 million for Jack Grealish and their valuations are suddenly his and Madison's are suddenly very much the same again then Madison is is maybe the more attainable which I don't think many people would have would have expected not that long ago but then again I think I still think Villa will go down and, you know, in that case, Grealish's valuation goes down and he's the more attainable target out of those positions. Um, I mean, with the, with the Sancho 50 million story, I think I was off or I was driving to Brighton. I was, I was told about it. I mean, it's that that is ridiculous. I mean, United, <laughs> United are not deluded. I know they've had some, um, some bad moments in the transfer market, but, um, uh, you know, there is going to have to be a compromise with Sancho, and I can see them paying a large enough fee that fee that doesn't necessarily break the nine-figure mark, but with add-ons does take it above or take it over a hundred million pounds. And sometimes the exchange rate comes into play, and it's quite important in that what might be a hundred million euros uh, to Dortmund is you know ninety million pounds for United, and at which point each side can you know 
you know, spin it the way they like. I think we've had that with Sport in Lisbon already. Their president was trying to say how uh, United could have had Fernandes for a much cheaper fee. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think anybody really cares about that because £46 million up front, he was a bargain. Um, you know, with, with someone like Leroy Sane, he's gone for a lower upfront fee to, to Bayern Munich. Uh, than than Fernandez did, and uh, I think there was, you know, certain exceptions were taken by people at City that it was a bargain deal. But the fact of the matter is, he's gone to Bayern Munich for a cheaper fee upfront than than Bruno Fernandez, and Sane and Alfonso Davies. I mean, that that's a left-sided combination that could be without peer, not just next season, but for seasons to come. So it is interesting seeing these these big deals. Um, pop up already um, in in the in the COVID market, like um, obviously like Sane, like Timo Werner, two players, uh, one going to Germany, one coming out of Germany. I think with Sancho, as I said before, I mean if United don't get in the Champions League, I just don't see how how that happens. The, the recriminations are just too are too drastic. Um, lack of Champions League invest, uh, lack of Champions League revenue. Obviously, they've lost. They lost £28 million pounds, um, in the period from their last their last financial uh, accounts uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, gate receipts, they've, they'll have they lose more money on that. The Adidas contract takes a hit as well. There's no way they can afford someone like Sancho. I just, I just do not see it um, if, if they don't get in the Champions League. But they should be very optimistic of returning to the Champions League next year. And I do think, despite the losses that and, and despite the hit, of the pandemic, um, United have got just about enough to. There's enough wiggle. There's enough wiggle room there to do a Sancho deal, but it might be that they have to just kind of accept that. Okay, if we get him in, we can't get anyone else in, and they're not. They're not in a position where they can just sell players and make a lot of money uh, for them. I think if there hadn't have been a pandemic this year, I think United could have made a lot of money from player sales in the market because if there wasn't a pandemic, you'd imagine Pogba would have agitated to leave. They might have relented there and got a large fee for him. Other players whose stock was not, not particularly high as such, but at a decent level, they could have got de- decent fees for them as well. But it's different now. Um, it's, it's completely changed and certain players who are, are surplus in that squad it's difficult to see who the buyers would be for them. I mean, just as an example, Phil Jones, who who the hell would pay money for him at the moment unless you're just giving him away for near enough to peanuts. Uh, Jesse Lingard's out of contract next year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the only ever time he starts for United again is against Las Glins, which is increasingly looking like a, an exercise for competition winners because it's just, it's, it's a foregone conclusion. Um, but, you know, there'd be a team out there that would want Lingard, that could make use of Lingard, but in terms of the fee, are you, you're going to have to take a hit on it. So um, the revenue coming in from, from outgoings isn't going to be great enough to um, you know, underpin the investment for, for incoming. So there are certainly, they, they do need to make room for Sancho. There is an element of that, but as, as we've seen in, in previous years, uh, it's it's best to to get the players in rather than waiting to sell players and then um, getting them in, which I think was a suspicion with the Lukaku and Maguire deals in the summer. But in the end, Maguire did did come in. Yet yeah, the, the, there was some suspicions there that he only was signed I think a week before the Premier League deadline because United had been guaranteed 
that they were going to sell Lukaku uh, to, to Inter. Yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see. The Angel Gomez uh, one is very an interesting departure considering Lingard's situation that he may leave the club and United have got sort of yeah. three, three backup number 10s, if you like, in, in Pereira and, and Juan Mata. But yeah, they, they let Angel Gomez, who might be the sort of the up-and-coming uh, backup number ten to Bruno Fernandez, they let him go. How, how do you how do you see that one? Well, I think Gomez was not very well advised by his brother and his father, and that even though the family have lived in in England for quite a long time, and I think his father actually played for Salford City, so they've actually lived in the Salford area or the Greater Manchester area long enough to have an understanding of uh, not just you know the, the culture of uh, of United, but to have an idea of the pathway uh, the, the youngsters there get when it comes to the first team, and at least show some foresight into what the blueprint might be for for Gomez, as you just alluded to it there. I mean, next year there's every chance that Pogba will be allowed to go. Uh, Juan Mata's contract is up; they might not exercise the one year option on that. Uh, Andres Pereira is frankly not good enough. He sees himself as a number 10. I'm not too sure what his position is because wherever he's played this season, he's not particularly flourished, but you can see why, why he sees himself as a number 10 anyway. But you factor all that in and suddenly there's there's a bit of an opening there for someone to, to vie with Fernandez or certainly be in that second tier of forwards competing with the front three. But I do just suspect that Gomez didn't think he was going to get the chances he wanted. Uh, I think there was an element of stagnation there as well. Frustration in that someone like Greenwood, who was not, who was, yeah, I mean, with Gomez, I think most most United fans knew his name five or six years ago. That wasn't the case with Greenwood. And it must be galling for Gomez that players like Greenwood and Brandon Williams have bypassed him this season. Uh, I think there was. I think he possibly rested on his laurels a bit too much, and that he thought, well, I made my debut at 16 years and whatever, however many days against Palace, won the Under-17 World Cup with England. Um, you know, Mourinho played me a couple of times. He had all these feathers in his cap, but it, it's it was nowhere near enough to say, look, I need to be at this point. I need to be. I need to have this status in the first team next season. Had he signed a contract, I think he'd have had to go out on loan next season um from what i've been told he's he's not got anything immediate lined up which is is the surprise i think when when it was pretty clear that he was not going to sign everyone suspected that he, he must have a deal lined up elsewhere um but i'm told that's not the case but there is a lot of interest on the continent for him and he's leaning towards a move abroad so it's it's a mix it's it's a it's a difficult one to really analyze i do ultimately think he's taken a risk in that he's walking away from one of the most renowned academies in in world football that has got a hell of a track record of producing players for the first team i mean players inferior than him in recent years have cemented their place in the first team and, and done it extremely well there are players like mctominay and brandon williams who were the unlikely lads if you like uh gomez i mean nicky Butt was quite unabashed about it a few years ago he said like they had, they had massive hopes for him and unfortunately for those academy coaches who've seen him develop um it's it's not quite come to fruition 
so it's it's a difficult one really as i said to to try and summarize as as best as i can but ultimately i do think that he has taken a risk and he's probably made the wrong choice because if he'd gone on loan next year and that loan turned out well and he was still unconvinced um, he, he wasn't going to make it at United, then fair enough, let him go, get a good fee for him, works out for all parties and, and he's had regular football. But by cutting cutting ties with United, he's not got that comfort blanket, if you like, there uh, to insulate himself when, when he's about to go out in the big wide world and th- that could expose him. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison with Greenwood and we'll have to see how, how the, the two career paths go in the in the future years. Obviously, Greenwood absolutely starring for United at the moment, looking like first-teamer and the real deal. Do you foresee Greenwood starting again against Bournemouth? I think that that's the position that, that he finds himself in right wing at the moment, isn't it? And it's the position that he's causing a lot of problems for teams like Bournemouth. They don't seem to be able to deal with his variety. Yeah, I noticed, yeah. I think it was in the Boxing Day game against Newcastle, Solskjaer was... Uh, very animated and telling Greenwood to move into the middle. I mean, if if they did uh, tactical lineups in, in Premier League games in the, on the team sheets that we get, Greenwood would always be on the right, but he's pretty much on the right only on paper. In that he's at his, he's a he's a threat as a goal scorer. So they're always trying to push him centrally. Uh, the fact that Wan Bissaka is adding assists to his game makes that job a lot easier because he is becoming a much more proactive and attack-minded right-back, whereas in the first half of the season, he was far, far too reticent. He's a a shy personality anyway. um, I was actually told he's just rude uh, by by someone who who works works with United. So um, you make that what you will, but he is playing very well and he's he's been a very good signing for United. that the you know the personality is is a bit of an issue, but he is starting to come out of his shell, certainly on the pitch at least, and that is good news for someone like Greenwood. One of the things that's been noticeable since the games restarted is that, that there seems to be an awful lot of encouragement expressed from uh, from the dugout uh, to Daniel James when he's come on in his cameos against Sheffield United and Brighton, and when you see that and hear it, you do think is this because they're pretty convinced that he's he's not he's not been playing to his to what he's capable of certainly in the first half of the season I thought he was very good up until about Christmas time but this calendar year I don't think he's I mean his, his form has definitely tailed off I don't think that's even a debate but there have been games where his selection has been justified because it suited United's tactical pattern and they've won the game and and that's all that matters for example the the Chelsea away game and, and the City derby in March, uh, those two spring to mind. But as I said previously, Greenwood is just a more talented footballer. He's got more variety. Um, he's he's probably the most exciting academy player I've seen at United since Pogba, uh, which is some going when you consider obviously Mash, Rashford uh, popped up in, in the 2015-16 season. But Rashford was nowhere near as prolific at academy or junior level as, as Greenwood was. And, and Greenwood is just, I think everybody who saw him at that level was convinced that he was going to be a hell of a player for United, going all the way back to when Mourinho spotted him and took him on tour in 2018. Um, and I think he gave him his first you know, squad berth in the Champions League early that season. So I really don't see any reason why you'd, 
you'd take Greenwood out of the team at the moment. And again, the schedule helps United. The Villa game is five days away. As long as the players' conditioning is good and nobody's carrying any injuries that don't have to be risked, I, I really think they should be just naming an unchanged team because they've got the rhythm going at the moment. Yeah, well, I was, was going to ask you for your prediction for the Bournemouth game, but maybe I should ask you your prediction for the Bournemouth team as well. Do you, do you think it'll be that unchanged team again? Um, so it's hard to read Solskjaer on these these things, isn't it? He's always quite yes. coy on team news. And... Yeah, he, he's also, it's not just the coyness about it. He he just tends to fib. I mean, what, the other week when he said that <laughs> Angel Gomez was not, I'm told it's not far away at that point. I thought, OK, he's definitely leaving then. Uh, we've we've come to, you know, we, 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 we know it now. We're not as naive as maybe we were at the start. Um, I, I, I suppose just because he's alluded to a couple of bruises and knocks, but then again, when he says that, you you think, are you fibbing here? And you're just going to name an unchanged, unchanged side. So if if I had to guess, I'd probably say, yeah. I, I, I again, he he hints at his preference to do that as well. So, and and it's quite the you know it's quite the milestone in that it's been nearly 14 years since United last played the exact same um, eleven in in three Premier League games running, and and that was a hell of a team that one back in the. Um, in the autumn of the season when they uh, regained the league off Chelsea. Oh yeah, we should have done a teaser, shouldn't we, to to guess what that team would be? But no doubt that'll be that'll be too easy uh, with all the big names that were probably in that side. So let, I'm going to push you on a, a prediction for the the Bournemouth game now, Samuel. I know you don't like these, but it's just screaming screaming United win, isn't it? At the risk of again, at the risk of us getting too far too far ahead of ourselves, it, it's <laughs> possibly a case of how many United will win by rather than if they'll win. Uh, I mean, they've, they've still not scored, they've still not scored five at Old Trafford in a domestic game since I think it's like Boxing Day 2011. It's just that really weird sequence. Um, I'll probably just go 3-0 again. Just, just keep, keep, keep the pattern going. Yeah, yeah, they may, they may well fly out of the blocks like they've done and then, like you say, have the chance to rest players yeah. Some of those those fringe yeah. players didn't really cover themselves in glory in that Norwich FA tie, did, did they? So they need they need more time and more more opportunities to try and make Solskjaer make those changes. Yeah, uh, I think the Norwich game, I mean, the, the changes there were excessive. It, it really made no sense before the game. Solskjaer was saying, well, it's, it's only one change from the previous round and Harry was meant to play in that one. So it's kind of like the same team. And then after the game, having watched them slag it out for 120 minutes not play particularly well he's like well it was the same team as the previous round but I suppose that was over 100 days ago so it's like I mean nobody looking at that team would have reported it or tweeted it out saying United make one change uh, from from the Derby County FA Cup tie before the UK went went into lockdown Um, but the the upside of it is that he has seen you know he's seen what certain players really are like they can't even they can't even perform in that situation where they should be performing. So that's why it's 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 good. It was good that players like Dallow and Lingard weren't in the squad at Brighton because he's got to show ruthlessness as well. Uh, and he, he has shown that. I think it's been a little bit an underrated side to him. But just keep, you know, keep with the winning team. The squad, sorry, the bench is pretty strong as well. And most of them uh, merit their inclusion in that as well. So I, I don't really see any need for... For any changes to uh, to to the starting eleven or the um, the nine substitutes. 
Yeah, I think I heard him on TV in the Norwich game walk down the steps and say, come on, lads, let's look like a proper team again. I think that's what he'll be looking for <laughs> from his United players. Uh, again, against Bournemouth, see if United can stretch their unbeaten run. Can they record a third successive 3-0 win in the league? Uh, that's Samuel's prediction. Um, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you very much for joining me, Samuel. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. No worries. And yeah, leave us a like and a subscribe on iTunes. And we're also available on Spotify and all those podcast places. But for now, it's thanks for listening.